Now on to our speaker today. Allison Taylor White is an award-winning journalist, historian, educator, and of course has deep roots here in Virginia. She was editor of the Virginia Review for 25 years, which has given her valuable insight into our rich history and culture. Since 2011, she has served as an adjunct instructor at the University of Richmond, where she's created and taught a curriculum for both the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at the Osher Institute. Uh, Allison has, has also served on many nonprofit boards, of, uh, and a board of directors, including the Press Women of Virginia and the Eppington Foundation. And she's worked with almost all of the major institutions in town uh, where she has continued to hone her skills as a historical educator and interpreter. Uh, sites including the Library of Virginia, the John Marshall House, St. John's Church, the Valentine Museum, Edgar Allan Poe Museum, and the best for last, your Virginia Historical Society. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to Allison and thank you all for your support. Thank you so much. Isn't he wonderful? This is great. And uh, thanks a lot to all my uh, friends and familiars who uh, came to support me today. Uh, as uh, a lot of you know, if you've ever tried to put together any kind of research project, or if it's on a personal level or on a professional level, you need friends. And I'm so delighted to have so many of them with me here today. Uh, hopefully at the end we'll get a, a moment or two to ask uh, questions that you have, and I hope that this exciting subject will elicit some exciting questions from all of you. But also, I've got some experts here uh, who helped me put together this project. So if I don't know, I will actually say, I don't know, but I know who might. And I will simply point to uh, folks that I've uh, seen here already this morning, and uh, glad to have you all here on such an interesting uh, and um, important time in our history. A lot of people talking about history and perspective uh, and context, a lot of people have asked me, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Why in the world would you write about a cemetery? <laughs> and there's a lot of cemetery humor I could throw at them, but <laughs> I, 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 I just decided to to go with the most obvious answer to that question, which was, this thing's gonna be 200 years old soon. It was founded in 1822. And the only literature on the market about this cemetery, Shaco Hill Cemetery, here in Richmond, Virginia, are two books that were published in uh, 1960, self-published by a genealogist named Alice Bomer Rudd. And she tried her best, and this was in the old typewriter days, to, uh, put together as many people from 1822 till about 1950 who were buried in Shaco Hill Cemetery. And uh, she did a marvelous job, but there's no narration there. There's no storytelling there. There's no people stuff there. And that's what really gets me going. I came at this from a journalistic uh, perspective, so I'm really nosy. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm also very visual. So I brought a lot of images for you to look at today. And one of the questions I had was, when was the first photograph taken of Shaco Hill Cemetery? So think about it for a minute. What was going on in 1865 in April? <laughs> so this is the first photograph that I can think of that was ever taken 
It's a stereoscopic image from the Library of Congress. And if you're familiar with this part of town, this is the old poorhouse or almshouse built in 1860. Still there. People still live there. And it's right across the street. Here's the brick wall going next to Shaco Hill Cemetery. And this is what it looked like uh, during the uh, period from 1861 to 65. It was a little forest, wasn't it? It's amazing. When you go there today, it doesn't quite look like that. It's a little different. But I thought it'd be fun to show you the first picture ever. By the way, we think probably they were standing on top of a building that's no longer there to take that image. And if you went to the poorhouse, then there wasn't anything wrong with you, didn't you do anything bad. It was just probably you were ill and your friends and family couldn't care for you. But there was a male section and a female section. There was no co-ed poorhouse. This is an image that is iconic and very popular uh, with uh, cemetery experts. They love angels, but this is a very singularly important uh, image for Shaco Hill Cemetery because it is the grave of uh, Nanny Caskey, a wonderful uh, Richmond uh, lady who was an unmarried lady of a certain age who loved to travel and unfortunately was visiting friends in Italy when she passed away. And they sent her home, and then they sent her an angel to guide over her and watch over her. And this is, this is Nanny's angel. Uh, we have a lot of angels in Shaco Hill Cemetery, but I think this one is one of the more poignant ones. And also, I think it's worth mentioning, you look at this image, it's a pretty image, isn't it? I took that with my phone. And I'm gonna introduce uh, some of the folks who helped me with this in a minute, and they actually use iPads and phones too. So we have a re remarkable technology at our fingertips, literally. What did Richmond, Virginia look like in 1822? I wanna know about that. What was it like? What did it sound like? What did it smell like? Well, it probably smelled pretty stinky for the most part because the river uh, was full of stuff we wouldn't put in it today. And also people loved eating oysters and there were just mounds of oyster shells everywhere. But this is a few that's actually in our collection here at the Virginia Historical Society. And a lot of the fun things that I found, some on purpose and some by accident, I found here. This fellow uh, is a French uh, engraver and he was one time mayor of New Orleans. And his name was John de Warsery. And he did not one but two city views and Richmond was one of them. So we're lucky to have this. But can you see the landmarks? You see uh, here is Mayo's Bridge. That's the toll. You stopped halfway across the bridge to pay your toll. And of course, here's the Capitol without its ears on it. Can everybody see okay? But I think it's interesting to see Richmond from somebody else's perspective. By the way, you know this is from what we call Manchester, and at that point was called Rocky Mount. So what's a Shaco? And a lot of people ask that question. And a lot of that is speculation in, in regards to the real answer to the question. But I just went back to primary sources and William Byrd II certainly is somebody we can rely on, can't we, as a, as a source. Um, and his quote was, after he and some friends had literally gotten in a boat and gone all over the place investigating not only Richmond, but also the city that would become Petersburg. And he describes, when we got home, we laid the foundation of two large cities. One is Shaco's, 
to be called Richmond, and the other at the Falls of the Appomattox to be named Petersburg. These major Mayo offered to lay out into lots without fee or reward. And the truth of it is, these two places being the uppermost landing of James and Appomattox rivers are naturally intended for marts where the traffic of the outer inhabitants must center. Thus, we did not build castles only, but also cities in the air. Isn't that pretty? He's talking about seeing Richmond from the river and looking up and imagining what this will become. Shakos was probably an Algonquin term. The Powhatan Indians, of course, lived here for thousands of years before we got here. And they used this term Shakoquan. And we think this is where Shako comes from. And there was a creek. And also, they think that that word referred to rocky water. And if you've ever been on the Falls of the James, we've got seven miles of pretty rocky water, haven't we? And here's an early map. Uh, it's hard for me to talk about Richmond without talking about Edgar Allan Poe. I love Edgar Allan Poe. Um, this is from a book that was published in 1925. And um, it's funny, the person who created the map actually covered up a lot of stuff related to Poe, including St. John's Church, where his mother's buried. Um, but it gives you the idea of if we put Poe in a time machine, and wouldn't that be fun, we could put him at three or four places in Richmond and he would totally know how to get around. One of them is Monumental Church, one of them is St. John's, I could go on. But another one is right up here, Shaco Hill Cemetery. And that gives you a little context for where the cemetery is. It's uh, roughly in Jackson Ward in the city. And uh, when it was founded, it was far away from everybody as it could get. It was not considered a very fashionable part of the, of the city. So what was going on before Shaco Hill Cemetery? Where were they burying people? Well, of course, St. John's is well known to many of you who are longtime Richmonders. Uh, the city had bought the front part of St. John's lot there to use as a burying ground. And you go back to the uh, city records, and it's funny, you know, we call that Church Hill, don't we? But they called it Richmond Hill. And they talk about the price they paid and the fact that they had to build the wall up to secure it. Uh, but by the early 1800s, that place was filling up. And unfortunately, a sad part of the vestry's duties was to go around and check before a burial and make sure somebody wasn't already there. <laughs> Here's a little picture of Patrick Henry trying to recruit a militiaman. <laughs> and of course, we had some tragic events which really inspired a lot of the uh, common council members to know they had to do something about burying people because in, on December 26, to, uh, 1811, there was a horrible, horrible theater fire at the corner almost of uh, uh, College and Broad Street, which now College and Broad Street, and uh, 72 Richmonders perished, including our, our governor, who had just been sworn in, and uh, many, many... Um, uh, tragic uh, tales around that event. So you think about it for a minute and, and stop and think about it. What are you going to do if you have a mass death event like 72 people dying at one time? Or in the next few years, the War of 1812 comes up. What are you going to do? 
By the way, this is what's on the site of the theater farm now. As many of you know, this is Monumental Church. And I like to use archival photographs like this because, look, here's Broad Street. It's cobbled. Isn't that interesting? And I love these guys sitting on the hill just looking at the photographer. This, again, is from 1865. So... <clears throat> What was the first chart or plan for this purpose-built design? And this is one of the city's first purpose-built designs. It was like the first park the city thought of, in a way, because they were building it not only for a sanitary use, is what their word was, sanitary, but they were also building it so it would be a picturesque place for people to take their families and have picnics and Richmond was getting urban, so they needed a place to uh, get into nature. And when I first saw this at the Library of Virginia, this is uh, from 1824, a Richard Young hand-drawn survey map, I almost started crying because this thing looked rough. Can you see how rough it looks still? So I said, you know what I really want to do is try to raise funds for this to preserve it and conserve it. And I was told by the librarian, it's already been conserved. <laughs> this was found, by the way, on top of a filing cabinet in Richmond City Hall many, many years ago when they used to smoke a lot. So this is just part of the fabric now. Richard Young was the first, uh, one of the first surveyors of the city. And he laid it out like a city, like a grid pattern, like the city. And like the city, people often wanted to be near their neighbors. In life, in the metropolis, they had a beautiful home and their neighbors were close by. In death, in the necropolis, they wanted to be near their neighbors too. And one of the most famous neighbors of uh, all of them, and of course, and a lot of reasons why people internationally come to see Shakoel Cemetery, is John Marshall, our, our fourth uh, Chief Justice of the United States, our longest serving Chief Justice of the United States. And his house, which is uh, shown here, is exactly, we think, two miles from Shaco Hill Cemetery. And he walked there all the time. In fact, that's where his dearest Polly was buried. She died almost three years uh, before he did. And he walked there to visit her every chance he got. And we believe that perhaps the last walk of his life was on his way to Shaco Hill or maybe on his way back. And bless his heart, he collapsed on the street. Strangers brought him home. He was rushed to Philadelphia. And of course, he, he passed away. But uh, he and his dearest Polly are there with all of their uh, neighbors, uh, some of them including the Wickhams. John Wickham is shown here in a little miniature by uh, St. Memon. And uh, this is his second wife, Elizabeth Selden McClurg. And um, this is a portrait of her by Gilbert Stewart. So that gives you some idea about their affluence and uh, conspicuous consumption, if you will. And of course, this was the neoclassical age. And I'm showing a portrait of her so you can see. Ladies, we were dressing like Greek goddesses. We had beautiful, elaborate headdresses that took hours to prepare. And we were ruling our roost. And of course, uh, You'll know Wickham from history as the lead attorney in the Aaron Burr case. Uh, Burr was tried here for treason. 
Wickham's obelisk is very distinctive and a lot of neoclassical symbols follow the Richmonders from their homes to the cemetery because their houses were beautiful neoclassical temples and their houses of eternity were too. Here's our first mayor. Many of you have eaten at Chez Fouché brunch on Sunday. This is William Fouché. He was a Revolutionary War uh, surgeon and a very kind man uh, and um, very much beloved. And he is, this is an image, by the way, we found upstairs in the collection of the Virginia Historical Society. And this I sort of cheated a little because uh, a lot of times when I talk, relatives of Peter Francisco are in attendance. So I guess I should ask, do we have any relatives of Peter Francisco? Well, he had a lot, of, he has a lot of descendants. And uh, the image, obviously, of his tombstone has got a nice American flag planted. He was a Revolutionary War hero. He was referred to as the Hercules of the Revolution, big, tall guy. And I think the Historical Society actually has one of his shirts. It looks like about three human beings could fit in it very easily. Uh, but the uh, image there that you see on your left is in Hopewell. I don't know if you know the city of Hopewell. Uh, it has a uh, portrait bust of Peter Francisco out front of City Hall uh, because he was actually discovered on the docks as a little boy wandering around. Uh, and uh, Hopewell has adopted him as their adopted son. So he's very much revered. And of course, speaking of reverence, um, as I said earlier, it's hard to talk about Richmond without mentioning Edgar Allan Poe. Almost every single person that Poe loved, and some people he did not, <laughs> are in Shaco Hill Cemetery. His mother, his dear mother, died when he was two years old, and he was fostered by Francis and John Allen. Uh, so he became part of this nouveau riche uh, Richmond, Virginia family whose wealth uh, climbed as he aged into uh, teenagerhood. And um, he absolutely, uh, had he um, not gone astray at some point uh, and left town, would be in this plot, you see. This is the row of Allens. William Galt was Allen's wealthy uncle. And um, uh, you see that um, the whole family is uh, accounted for with the exception, no mention of Poe. And uh, you can tell the story of war and peace in Shaco Hill Cemetery. There are probably about 4,000 soldiers alone in this cemetery. But I like to talk about the fact that if you want to talk about the Civil War, you know, not everybody agreed with everybody. We're kind of like that today, aren't we, in Richmond? <laughs> We agree to disagree. I mean, there's some private clubs to this day that have as a rule, we can talk about anything you want to. Sex, scandal, doesn't matter, but not politics. And Richmond was very much the same way. Here was some considered her a leader in the uh, unionist movement here in Richmond, but she certainly uh, had a, a spy network going in her house, and this was Elizabeth Van Loo. Um, this uh, portrait of her a distinctive tombstone, again, was taken with my phone almost at sunset. So uh, you can take some remarkable pictures in cemeteries in Richmond, and they really do turn out well. This was uh, donated, by the way, by the good ladies of Boston. 
Uh, Ms. Van Lu, as many of you know, um, saved uh, and worked to repatriate uh, many Northerners who were imprisoned here. And one of them was descended from Paul Revere. So uh, the good ladies of Boston decided when they heard she had no tombstone that they would send her a tombstone. This is a Boston pudding stone, and it's huge. So uh, I think it makes a statement that even in death, you have to notice her, don't you? So we have uh, unionists, and then we have things that come across uh, uh, in research by accident. This is a letter by one of the Richmond unionists called Charles Palmer, and I do not have a, an image of him, but I'm hoping I can find one because I've got pictures of everybody else. It was, an, it was a tight-knit little group, and all the men went to prison during this period, during the period of 1861 to 1865. Uh, almost all of them served time either under house arrest or in jail, uh, and they sent the men to the slave jail in Lumpkins Alley as if to kind of rub their nose in it, saying, if you want uh, Negroes to be free, why don't you spend some time with them? And uh, Charles Palmer uh, eventually uh, ended up uh, in one of those jails. Uh, but this is many years before, and he's writing to his sister-in-law, who is Susan Harrison Lewis Doubtit. And she lived at a place called Natural Bridge. Have you ever heard of it? In Rockbridge County? And the fun thing about uh, a discovery like this is if you're on your own personal search and your family uh, trying to find things, you can find clues in some of these old things. So can you see he's drawn something on his paper? So he wrote her, and I'm going to read his letter. I hope you don't mind, just a little bit. He wrote her, he said, uh, but with all the philosophy and resolution I can summon, I am still unhappy, and surely I have cause to think of it. At the age of 33, he writes, and married eight years, I have a wife and three children in one grave besides other trials. He says, you inquired also about the grave of your sister. It is in the new burying ground near the poorhouse and marked by the last superficial tribute I can bestow on her moldering remains. It is a monument of solid Roman or Italian marble of pure white representing her innocence. It's about five feet high and two feet square of an obelisk of Gothic shape as marked on this paper. But this eternal stone may serve when you and I are gone to protect her ashes from the spade of some yet unborn grave digger who may be trying to find room for another tenant of the day. It contains the epitaph and those of my little children, Randolph and Katharina, and I, I mourn not for these children, he writes. No, Susan, because they're all happier in heaven with their mother, and they are better situated compared with all of us. So why should I mourn? God of mercy, he writes, direct me through this life so as to be worthy to join one day with them. So finding a fun document like this can tell us not only where they are in their mind when they're mourning and they're telling family facts about what's going on in their day-to-day -day life, but you also find out about their death and burial rituals. So what else is good about this clue? Well, there it is.
He did a good job, didn't he? And by the way, that flat tombstone that's in front of her, uh, closest to you, that's him. And I told you earlier he was one of the unionists in Richmond. The interesting thing about a lot of these guys was they were not pacifists. I thought maybe they'd be anti-secessionists because he didn't, they didn't think we should go to war with each other. But he was in the War of 1812. He was a veteran, so that was not true of him. By the way, two of his sons survived, and one of them was a surgeon for the Confederacy. And after the evacuation fire wiped out Charles Palmer's entire business, his son uh, supported him uh, into his later years. Another very uh, popular and famous unionist was John Minor Botts, and he was just somebody who we would just say only opens his mouth to change feet. <laughs> and you see he's, he's the patriarch on his piazza. Can you see him sitting there in the middle? He was not only imprisoned, he was sent out of town. And he bought a place as far from Richmond as he could buy, which was Culpeper. And on that piazza, he and his family watched seven engagements between the two forces from their front porch. And you can't see, because it's from the Library of Congress and they cropped it, but he's got guards all around his porch, Union soldiers. So I think he was pretty safe there in Culpeper. Here's a more modern, uh, a younger portrait of him. And it, it goes to show that after the war, we all became friends again. Because when he passed away, he lay in state in the Capitol, and people praised him for having been a unionist. You know, they could have been bitter about it, uh, but they admired him. He'd been a legislator, he was a wonderful lawyer, and he was a, a very well-beloved member of the community. By the way, he's one of the uh, many Richmonders buried in Shaco Hill Seminary with traces to that theater fire we talked about a minute ago. Both his parents died that night, uh, December 26, 1811. And here's another one. Uh, we've got uh, some folks in, uh, from Vermont, and I thought I'd put uh, Franklin Stearns in here. He's from Bennington, Vermont. He's about the only unionist in Shaco Hill Cemetery that's not from here. And um, I think he's a rather handsome fellow. I don't know about you, but he was very wealthy, and he made his money in the distillery business. So everybody else got sent to all these different jails and prisons or, or home arrest. He got sent to his distillery. <laughs> and there are letters from people who would stop by about 5.30 or 6 o'clock just to make sure the prisoner was still in chains. <laughs> And help themselves to a little, uh, yeah, a little, a little, let's just say picker-upper, for lack of a better word. And this building that you see here uh, is uh, one of his buildings. He had tons of money during the war and after the war. He never bought or traded his money in for Confederate money. And uh, this is one of the iron fronts in Richmond. It's very distinctive. Many of you have seen it. And this is an archival photograph of when Pollard and Bagby, the realty firm, was there. And I'm not sure if Rita's here today, but uh, Rita Bagby, my friend, said when she was married, that's where her husband's office was. So you can still see remnants of what Richmond used to be. And... Shaco Hill Cemetery has relevance today. Uh, many people uh, doing research on things like um, uh, the different gravesite uh, websites, I won't name any because there's like about four or five now, 
uh, will um, try to uh, find their family history. And this is my student, uh, and uh, she is actually searching not for her uh, family, Judy Bernicke's from Ohio, but she's searching for her husband's family. They were Italian, and they were Bernicke's, and they were here in Richmond in the confectionery business down in Chaco Bottom. Prior to the Civil War, Richmond was more diverse culturally than it ever has been. So when you go to Chaco Hill Cemetery, you're going to be all amazed at all the German, Italian, Irish, uh, and other um, international uh, occupants. But here's Judy, and uh, she actually found this uh, through her research and by calling our own Jeffrey Burden, who's here with us today. Uh, and she thought she'd find some modest little marker, and she was thrilled to find this uh, really very handsome uh, Gothic-style uh, marker. Uh, and uh, as it turns out, uh, she found an ancestor that she didn't know uh, her, her daughter had. And uh, the ancestor married a lady named Katerina, and as it happened, that's her daughter's name. This is a German uh, immigrant, uh, John Jacob Umenhauser, who came here from uh, Pennsylvania. He was first-generation German, and he started uh, working here in Richmond, and then the war broke out, and he joined uh, the Confederacy and had the fortune or misfortune, however you want to look at it, of being captured by the Union troops not once but twice. The second time, he was held at Point Lookout up in Maryland, and I know Bert's probably visited there. A lot of you may have heard of it. Um, he got some drawing materials, and he was like, a lot of these prisoners that you hear about had more time on their hands than they knew what to do with, and they became artists. And he drew a lot, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures. I like this one because it's got a dog in it, and I love dogs. But it's uh, the point lookout when you come in and you have to give your papers and they have to check you out and make sure you're okay before you can visit the, the prisoners. John Jacob Omenhauser has a lot of relatives here and in uh, the rest of the country. He came back after the war and, and um, started a confectionery down in Chaco Bottom. There were a bunch of folks who were doing wonderful little shops down in Chaco Bottom. And um, he had a, a thriving business there. And here we even have uh, Taylor Corden with us today from Corden Jewelers. We have modern day businesses still in business in Richmond, Virginia that have ties to Chaco Hill Cemetery. And the modern photograph that you see uh, above, uh, Taylor is the uh, handsome fellow in the middle and uh, the Civil War portrait behind him is uh, his ancestor. And um, he became involved with Chaco Hill Cemetery because one of his family members, and here she is, Delia Ann Franklin Corden, had a tombstone, but it was really in rough shape. So he replaced it, and he, he got a nice modern stone for Delia. And um, that's another thing that people are getting involved with, adopting a tombstone. And uh, it's a marvelous thing for a family to get involved with or a civic group. And as you can see, uh, I think Delia looks very happy about it, don't you? <laughs> now, some people are here and some people need to be here. This is, and this is where I get a little weird, so bear with me. Edgar Allan Poe was a Richmonder. He grew up here. And he wrote to a good friend when John Tyler became president. Poe wanted a job with the government. 
So maybe it was convenient that he was a Virginian at that time. I don't know. But he wrote to his friend, Frederick Thomas, and he said, I am a Virginian. Or at least I call myself one. His first and his last fiance is this lady right here, Sarah Elmira uh, Royster Shelton. And this is her table tomb. And you can see little stones on it. Usually it's covered in them because everybody in the world knows this is here, except a lot of people who live in Richmond, because <laughs> she was engaged to Edgar Allan Poe when he decided he had to run north to do business. He would come back, they'd get married, and bless her heart, she waited, and she waited, and she waited, she didn't find out he died until she read it in the newspaper. Isn't that sad? Isn't that awful? But he needs to be here next to her. Want to see where he is? Baltimore. Now, I'll just say this. He was fine when he left. If you don't feel well, don't go to Baltimore. <laughs> and I, I was talking to a historian about this, and, and he gave me a little bit of a hard time. But I think there's precedence for relocating someone. And if you don't believe me, go talk to James Monroe in Hollywood Cemetery, because he was perfectly happy and dead in New York. And they went and got him. So I don't think it'd be any trouble at all to go get Mr. Poe. And I have some very good volunteers right here. <laughs> at least one of them can get a truck. <laughs> so with all that, I've kind of given you an arc of a narrative that was sort of brisk and broad. So I hope it hasn't uh, made your head spin. But I will let you know that Shaco uh, Cemetery is a delightful place to discover one's roots or others' roots. It doesn't matter, even if you're not even from Richmond. It's a great way to learn more about your community. A lot of people say you can tell how a community feels about its history and heritage by how it treats its cemeteries. And I know I've talked to a lot of people over the course of the last couple months who regularly visit cemeteries when they travel, which is a fun thing to do. Uh, but here I am in March a couple of years ago with my students. We've got at least one of them right here uh, in the front row. And some of them, as you can see, are in the witness protection program. <laughs> But uh, they, uh, they gathered around this very beautiful monument to Mayo. And if you say you don't know who any of the Mayos were, you've probably been across Mayo's Bridge. We've talked about it earlier in the map that we showed of early Richmond, the early Richmond view. And um, this was one of those cold days in March when there was still snow on the ground. And yet by noon, it was close to like 50 degrees. So we felt like it was uh, beach weather. And uh, at this point, we're going to uh, ask if anybody has any questions. And I will add to that, you know, it is that season of the year. And um, I'm going to be signing books in a few minutes. And I don't want to be too, too, too self-serving. But I will say this. Um, I have heard, and I believe it on very good authority, 
that the past makes a very good present. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it, uh, it seems uh, somehow appropriate to talk about a cemetery on Pearl Harbor Day. Yes. But uh, very entertaining and informative, and I thought your photographs added a lot to it. Oh, thank you. Um, back to the photograph, uh, the original one of the cemetery and the almshouse in the background. Um, were the paupers buried in Shaco, or were they buried elsewhere? Well, that's a really good question. And one of the things that happened when I was reading in the beginning, when they were starting to plan this, uh, was they said, well, who can be buried here? That's a really good question, isn't it? And it's very, it's very much of its time. They said you had to be a Richmonder. You had to be um, a free person. You had to be a white person. There are two persons of color in Shaco Hill. But these were the original uh, guidelines. And then they needed space for folks who were over across the street in the hospital. So yes, they had a pauper's grave. But if you're familiar with the area, there's also a cemetery called Hebrew, which was founded in 1818. And all around Hebrew was a huge pauper's cemetery. So they used that also. But yeah, and there were soldiers buried there who were later relocated and buried in other places as well uh, during the uh, uh, aftermath of the war. Is the cemetery filled now, or are there places remaining? That's a really good question, too. And I meant to say in the beginning, the city owns the cemetery. <clears throat> Not all the families used all their space. So uh, there's also some space, but also, from what I understand, there's a plan for uh, a place for cremains to go, and people can have their remains there. And uh, I think that sounds like a, an interesting idea. I know St. John's has something very similar to that, too. Uh, so people who want to be buried in a historic site, in, in essence, can be. But yes, they, there are some traditional burial places available still. You said that the city owns the cemetery. Do they maintain it, uh, or is there somebody else that maintains it, or is it not maintained? Well, the city does own it, uh, and the city has several uh, cemeteries. Um, and that's a good question, too. But of course, they encourage volunteerism. And there is a friends group that takes care of the cemetery. And there are also individual citizens. There's a gentleman who's uh, uh, Russian uh, descent who comes out with his lawnmowers in the summertime when the city doesn't feel like mowing the grass and he does it. So it's a really interesting place. Uh, the city maintains it as, as it has the budget to do so. Well, I'm, I'm tickled that you included so much about Poe uh, in your talk. Uh, you want to go get him? <laughs> I... <laughs> Uh, I, I think you might include Jane Stannard. Yes. 
who is just a few yards from the Allens, and uh, she is supposedly inspired his poem to Helen. Yes, and, and and that's another. That was one of those fun mysteries. Um, I've always looked at the little plaque that they have at Jane Standard. Jane Standard was the daughter of Adam Craig, who was the clerk of the court for Henrico County, and um, she married a prominent uh, lawyer who became a judge. Uh, was the mother of a friend of Poe's uh, when he was growing up. But uh, a man from um, California wanted to dedicate a plaque to uh, Jane Stannard. Uh, and for some reason, when they dedicated the plaque, they, they didn't quote to Helen, which is what Poe said uh, Jane Stannard had inspired. He said when he was 15 years old, he met this woman, and she was so beautiful, he almost became unconscious. <laughs> so he wrote this poem, and he told uh, Helen Whitman, a uh, New England uh, poet, many years later, that um, he fell in love with Jane Stannard. She was his first truly ideal love. And when they put the plaque down, nobody bothered to tell anybody that's not to Helen. It's a different poem. So I talk about that in the book. It's interesting. To Helen goes... To Helen, thy beauty is to me like Nicene barks of yore. He's reminded of Helen of Troy, you know, who really got these guys crazy over her to start wars and send ships and things. But the plaque when you go to see her grave is not that poem. So I, I kind of worked on that mystery a little bit. But yeah, she definitely inspired him. She was perfect for Poe. She was beautiful. She was intellectual. She was smart. She was funny. And all of a sudden, at age about 31, she got very, very sick and went crazy and died. So she was perfect for Poe, <laughs> I think. Just my opinion. A, a couple years ago, when I was there, there was a sign in a field area that said, um, soldiers, maybe Confederate or Union and Confederate. And I heard you say that the that the um, soldiers had been moved. I wonder if they are buried in that field. Can I ask Jeffrey um, Burden to answer that question? Because Jeffrey knows about the soldiers and where they are. Thank you. Well, thank you. That's a good question. Um, there were, in the first couple of years of the war, a number of the federal POWs who died in Richmond were buried. And uh, as it happened, they were buried just outside the east wall of the cemetery. So they weren't actually in the cemetery. The belief had been they were in the, in the cemetery. They were nearby. Um, those burials there stopped in June of 1863. And after the war, the federal government went in and relocated all the remains, as they did throughout the South, into national cemeteries. So all those uh, Union soldiers who were buried near the cemetery are now all buried under unknown markers at Richmond National Cemetery on Williamsburg Road. Everybody thought they were inside the cemetery. And the records would lead you to believe if you looked at them uh, just kind of broadly, that they were in the cemetery, uh, uh, but they weren't. So there's a marker, as, as the lady mentioned, the marker that talks about the hundreds of Union soldiers there. That was based on a, on a mistaken reading of the cemetery records. It's, and it's nice that they're remembered, but, uh, but the story is a little more nuanced uh, than that. But we're pleased to have a couple of commemorative markers in the cemetery that recognize uh, that the soldiers had once been near there. Uh, I have to say, rarely are we treated to a presentation that is laced with such a delightful sense of humor. And uh, we're too far away to see, but I suspect you have a twinkle in your eye. Uh, <laughs> as far as getting uh, Poe back, I think every 
everybody probably knows the, the history of the Baltimore Colts, the truck being uh, backed up after midnight. Perhaps you could get those same movers to... <laughs> Uh, there's other northern cities that claim uh, Poe. Boston won. What, what's the deal with that? Well, he, he was born there, but that's only because his mother was there at the time. <laughs> he couldn't help it. <clears throat> if he'd had a choice, he would have been born here. And um, before we uh, get ready to wind up here, um, I'd like to ask a few of my friends to stand who really helped me. Jeffrey Burden, who took about 80%. I have 80 photographs in my book. Uh, and um, Bert Dunkerley, my uh, uh, reader who helped me with the military parts of the book. And uh, Cassandra Farrell from the Library of Virginia, she helped me with that wonderful map that you saw. She held my hand when I cried. And uh, Victoria Hauser, who was wonderful, she helped me read the post section. Uh, uh, Scott Bergman, who was uh, uh, very active on the Friends group. And of course, Taylor Corden, who is, uh, you saw Taylor a minute ago, Corden's Jewelers, oldest jeweler in Richmond. And of course, uh, my students, Warren and Sean Mays, would y'all mind, uh, who uh, are here from VCU. They got off on their lunch hour. And if I've forgotten anybody, please forgive me. Uh, but uh, thank you so much. Has anybody else got any other questions? Uh, two more questions, okay. You listed causes of death, and cholera was very prevalent in that. How long was that Well, cholera was so prevalent, and also, I should say, tuberculosis, that many people suffered from it or carried it in them without ever getting ill, particularly with tuberculosis. Uh, but cholera, uh, I know Poe had it at one point. He recovered. He lived. Um, it was something. It was a summertime problem. The, the water just was gross. And um, they didn't know about microbes and germs and bacteria and things like that. So it kept recurring up through the 20th century. I mean, I haven't done any studies on the diseases of the early 20th century, but I did notice several of the people who were uh, deceased and causes of death still gave cholera as one of them. So uh, it wasn't uh, rampant like smallpox, but it was bad enough that um, it was a, there were also these things called summer complaints. <laughs> and they just called them summer complaints and people just died. Yeah, I thank still, you. I still don't know where it is. So, okay. Um, could you tell me, in, I mean, in terms of geography? or Could you tell me how to walk there from here, for example? <laughs> drive? I would, I would take a friend if you were going to walk, because it'll be, it'll be quite a walk. Um, uh, it is in Jackson Ward. When I said it was two miles from John Marshall's house, John Marshall lived, I mean, he's, his house is still there at 9th and Marshall. Um, so you would go uh, toward Jackson Ward from there, two miles from his house is where it is. And, and I'll tell you where the convention center is. You know where the convention center is? At Marshall and Third? It's about two, three blocks, long blocks, uh, on the other side of, how do you tell them, Jeffrey? 
head, head to third, you go to third street north past, uh, going north out of town and you will eventually wind up on the street to hospital street and you make a left and, and you're there. And um, when you're coming from Williamsburg on 64 when it turns into 95, a lot of times you'll see a cemetery on your right. That is Hebrew, but that is right across the street from Shaco Hill. Does that help? Yeah? No, other direction. Other direction is west of there. Yes, oh, northwest. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, everybody.